what shall we say to these things? What are we to conclude from the fact that we have been adopted into the family of God? That we have been made joint heirs with Jesus Christ. What are we to make of this fact? The fact, as Paul said, that we have received the Holy Spirit as the guarantee of our future redemption, that the Holy Spirit prays on our behalf. What should we infer from the truth that even though we are sinners by nature, we have been acquitted of all wrongdoing and our future glory is certain. Well, the first thing Paul wants us here to deduce from these teachings is that God is on our side. He says, if God is for us, God is on your side. And there is no better thought than this. There is no greater reason for us to feel safe in this topsy-turvy world. There is no greater reason for us to be at home in our circumstances than to be assured that God is for us. That God wants and God works all things together for our good. There's no greater thought than that. That God is our power of attorney, managing all of our affairs on our behalf and causing all our circumstances to coalesce around his grand agenda, his grand scheme, which is to bring liberation and freedom to, to be free. But God is not the only one with a grand scheme for your life, no. God wants us to be free, but our enemies want to bind us. The devil, our own flesh, the multitude of bad actors in this world desire fervently to destroy us, to demolish our faith, to rob us of any hope. But there is no need to fear. There is no need to feel insecure because God is for us. Someone needs to hear this today. I need to hear this today, that God is for me. The great I am and the sovereign one, the ruler of all nations and the healer of souls, God is for me. The one who stretches out the earth like a canvas, rides on the waves of the wind, God is for me. The creator mighty and strong, the Lord of peace, the great provider, the one who sees all and knows all, the one who leads me and sets me apart, God, that God is on my side. And if God is for us, who is against us? What is its name? 
never mind, I don't need to know because it really doesn't matter what its name is. Our Lord has been given a name that is above every name. And at the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, every naysaying knee must bow. At the sound of his voice, every plot, every plan of my enemies will be exposed and brought to nothing. And because of God's divine decree concerning us, no weapon that is formed against us shall prosper. In fact, just the opposite. Every weapon that is brought to bear against us will work for our good. We may get hurt in the rough and tumble of this life, but we cannot be eternally injured. With the late gospel singer, we can rest assured that this too, whatever it is you're going through, this too will pass. We can be content today in knowing that the one who has set his eyes upon us for the good will move heaven and earth, mountains and seas to get us to his preferred destination. After all, Paul says, he who did not spare his own son but delivered him over for us all. For our salvation, God the Father pulled out all the stops. For our salvation, Jesus, God our Father, went all the way. He sent his own son from heaven to earth, from the manger to the cross, all in an effort to rescue you and to rescue me. God the Father has made the ultimate sacrifice. He put his life and he put his name on the line. He was willing to die so that we could live. He was willing to sacrifice his own son so that you and I could live. You know, many fathers look to their sons to continue their legacies. Many fathers counsel their children, they groom their children and prepare them to carry on their family name. They invest their time and their energy, they invest themselves into their sons. God was no different. God the Father invested all of himself into his son Jesus Christ. All of his attributes and all of his wisdom, all of his power and all of his glory, he invested into his only begotten son, Jesus Christ. And this one, Jesus Christ, whom God the Father had been grooming since the dateless days of eternity, God the Father sacrificed for you and for me, he did not spare his own son, but gave him up to death so that you and I could have a chance to become free. This is radical love. This is extreme generosity. That in giving Jesus Christ over to death, God the Father gave us all that he had to give. He gave us his prized possession. This being the case, Paul asked the question, how will God the Father not also with Jesus? This is a very odd sentence. Paul says, he who did not spare his own son but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him? How will God the Father not along with Jesus? 
I can only conclude that Paul wants to remind us of two things in this awkward sentence. First, Paul wants to remind us that Jesus, the one whom the Father gave over to death, that this same Jesus is yet alive. He rose from the dead and he is now at the right hand of the Father. And also, I think Paul wants us to understand that this enterprise of salvation is not the Father's alone, but that the Son, Jesus Christ himself, is in full agreement that Jesus did not go to the cross against his will, but that Jesus and the Father agreed that his sacrifice was worth the price to save you and to save me. The Father and his Son agreed that all humanity is worth saving. That no price is too great, no sacrifices too much. And if this is the case, if the Father along with his Son love us this much, it stands to reason then that the Father and his Son Jesus will freely give us all things. <laughs> Not just some things. All things, anything, everything. Of course, to some degree, this promise is according to the power of the faith that works in each of us. You see, the children of God have access to all of the blessings of God. The children of God have access to all of the bounty that is God's. We are joint heirs with Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ owns everything. And so we too possess all things with him. We don't have to fight for it. We don't have to work for it. We already by faith possess all things. And they all have been freely given to us in Jesus Christ. But there is one particular gift that we've been given that surpasses all the rest. It is our justification. Paul asked the question in verse 33, who will bring charges against God's elect? Who has the power, who has the right to accuse God's chosen people before God himself? Who can arrest us? Who can indict us? Who can pronounce us guilty? Who can incarcerate the children of God? Who can limit us? Who can take away our freedom of movement in the spirit? Who can do that? Remember, remember, God's ultimate desire for us is that we be free. But our enemies desire to keep us in prison, to threaten us with the prospect of bondage, to use the weapons of guilt to shut us up and to shut us down, but they will never be successful. Their charges will never stick. And not only will their charges not stick, the case against us before God is dismissed, before the trial can even start. Because, Paul says, God, the one who gave his own son Jesus Christ for us, God, the judge and the jury, God is the one who justifies us. God is the one who refuses to find fault with us. God is the one who has pronounced not guilty over our lives. So Paul asks, who is the one who can condemn us? 
What is his name? From whence does he derive his authority? Certainly doesn't come from God. Only one man controls the destinies of the children of God. Christ Jesus is he who died, Paul says, but rather was raised, who is at the right hand of God, and he is not at God's right hand accusing us. He is not at God's right hand accusing you. Paul says Jesus Christ is at the right hand of the Father interceding for you and for me, praying for you and for me, talking us up before God, pronouncing freedom over our lives before God. Jesus Christ prays for us because he loves us. So then who, Paul asks, who will separate us from the love of Jesus Christ? What is his name? Who can isolate us from Jesus' love? Who can remove us from the heart of Jesus? Who can strip us from Jesus' hands? John chapter 10, verse 27, Jesus answers this very question. Jesus says, my sheep, those who are chosen, my sheep listen to my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. And for the people way in the back, Jesus continues, says, my father who is greater than me, my father who is greater than all, no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. Who, who shall separate us from the love of Jesus Christ? No one can. Amen. But even though this is truthfully the case, There are still entities in this world who will most certainly try to separate us. Their names are tribulation and trouble, persecution and famine, nakedness, danger, and sword. These are just a few of the names of the enemies that align themselves against God's chosen people. Because these are the entities that can cause us the most despair. Unrelenting trouble can thin our nerves and weaken our resolve. Abuse and degradation and persecution can shake our confidence in ourselves and in our God. Hunger and homelessness are things that we dread and we fear. Danger and violence can make us paranoid and anxious. Just as it is written, for your sake, we are killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Hmm. And very often, it is because of one of these things that our love for God can begin to diminish. It is because of one of these things, or all of these things sometimes, that we can grow tired of the waves of despair that overtake us, weary of the constant threat of loss. And there are moments in the lives of every believer when we may feel like giving up. But it is good and it is important for us to recall that it is not by our love for God that we remain in Jesus Christ. 
but we remain in Jesus Christ because he has loved us. That our salvation is not solely dependent upon our ability to, to keep God's commands and to keep God at the center of our hearts. Our salvation is based upon the truth that we are at the center of the heart of God. It is his love that keeps us. It is his love that helps us. It is the love of Jesus Christ that holds our place and holds the line when we feel like letting go. Uh. It is by, and it is because of the one who has loved us, Jesus. That Paul says in verse 37 that we overwhelmingly conquer. <laughs> overwhelmingly conquer. In all these things, in trouble, in persecution, in lean times, in hard times, Paul says that we completely triumph. We completely and we decidedly prevail. There are a lot of believers who would be satisfied just to survive the onslaught of our enemies. But Paul says we don't merely survive. No, we don't just survive. We triumph over them decidedly. We win against all our enemies. Every lie, every doubt, every fear, every hurt. Because of the love Jesus has for us, we defeat them all. And our victory is a resounding affirmation that God is for us. Verse 38, Paul says, I'm going to tell you how I know this. I'm going to tell you how I know that God is for you. I'm going to tell you how I know that you will overwhelmingly conquer. He says in verse 38, I am convinced. I love that. I am convinced, Paul says. Or, or I am persuaded. God has persuaded Paul. God has convinced Paul of the truths that he's about to set forth in this text. A psychiatrist named Dr. J. Conger. And she boils down these four steps to persuasion. The four things a person should do if he wants to be able to convince or persuade anyone of anything. The first step, you have to establish credibility. Paul is a Jew. Paul was raised in the scriptures. God has credibility with Paul already. Then she says, in order to be persuasive, you have to find some common ground, some common purpose if you want to be persuasive. And both Paul and Jesus Christ are on the same page. They have a common cause. They share the will of God. They desire the will of God in common. Then, then she says, in order to be convincing, in order to be persuasive, you have to be able to connect emotionally with your audience. You can tell just by the way Paul talks about Jesus that Jesus has connected on a deep emotional level with Paul. Paul loves Jesus. But finally, finally she says, if you want to be persuasive, if you want to be able to persuade anyone of anything, you have to be able to provide some evidence. 
Uh-oh. You have to be able to prove that your claims are true. To have faith, brothers and sisters, is different from being convinced. I can have faith and not be convinced. <laughs> to have faith is different than being convinced. Faith is the substance of the thing I am hoping for in the absence of any proof, in the absence of any evidence. But to be convinced requires proof. Faith in God is dependent only upon my believing, hearing the gospel and believing the gospel. But to be convinced requires more than words. Just like you, I began my journey because of words, the words of the gospel. I heard the word of God, I responded by faith, and I gave my life to Jesus Christ. I came to believe. But after walking with the Lord now for over 40 years, there are some things that I don't only believe about God. There are some things about God that I have become convinced of. <laughs> I still believe, but there are some things that I have become convinced about. Hmm. Because God has demonstrated certain things to me time and time again in my life. God has proven certain things to me time and time again. And I have become more than just believing, I am persuaded, I am convinced. Paul the Apostle has been convinced now. And if you want to have a productive, a prosperous, and a victorious journey as you travel on this road toward eternal life, there are some things by experience that you need to become convinced of. You can believe and not be convinced. And Paul's list right here is a list of the things that Paul himself has experienced. Paul's list right here is a list of the things and the entities that he himself have come up against and learned to master as he's been serving Jesus Christ. Paul is convinced that, that, that neither death nor life. Paul can say that because Paul has experience in this area. In the book of Acts chapter 14, starting at verse 19, we see they stone Paul. And when his body became limp, they took Paul's body and they dragged him outside the gate, outside of the city. His murderers threw him on the ground and they left him for dead. But the Bible says as the crowd stood around Paul, Paul got right back up after being stoned what they thought was to death and Paul went right back into the city preaching the gospel. Paul has experience with death. In Acts chapter 28, on the island of Malta, Paul was bitten by a venomous snake, but the snake's venom couldn't kill him. The islanders were standing around waiting for Paul to drop dead, but the venom of the snake could not kill Paul. Paul has experience with death. And because of experiences like these, Paul has become convinced that neither death nor the vicissitudes of life, no angels and no principalities, Paul has experience with these. The woman who was possessed with demons in the book of Acts chapter 16. Well, that sorcerer named 
Elymas in Acts chapter 13, the one who Paul struck blind by the power of God. Paul has experience in battling principalities and angels. Paul has had experiences with the dark forces of this world. And because of his experience, his extensive experience, Paul has become convinced. Convinced that nothing present and no thing that is to come, that no powers, no matter how high and no matter how low, Paul has become convinced, both by the Holy Spirit's instructions as well as by his own experiences along the way, that no created thing, and by the way, everything that is, is a created thing except for God. No created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. In Paul's writing these words, in my preaching these words, I don't expect for you to just become convinced by my saying so. What Paul wants us to do for now is to simply believe that this is the case. That the love of Jesus Christ is so great toward us that there is nothing in existence with the power or the ability to shake his love, to harm our relationship with him, to prevail against his people. Just believe it for now. If you've been walking with Jesus Christ for a while, I'm sure you're pretty convinced of this by now. But if you don't have the experiences, just believe it for now. And as you continue your journey, it is my prayer that you also will become just as convinced of this empowering truth as Paul was. Because when you truly become convinced of this truth, that there is nothing in all of creation, no height and no depth, no angels, no principalities, no lie and no fears, there is nothing in creation that can harm you You'll be ready to climb the highest mountains for God. You'll be ready to go into the most evil of places to confront all of your fears and to walk in confidence. Not confidence in your ability to love God. But you will become thoroughly persuaded that there is no power in this world more powerful than the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And when you arm yourself with this truth, you will overwhelmingly prevail. As I studied and read this text, God gave me the opportunity to look back over my own life, to see the great battles that he has won on my behalf to look back on some very dark days and difficult nights when I felt like I wasn't gonna make it through, God gave me a chance to look back. Say, boy, you know you were as good as dead right then. You know it was over for you right then, but my love for you. <laughs> Your faith was weak and you were down for the count. You had no hope in this world. And when you could not hold on for yourself, I held you. So great is the power of the love of God that there is no power in this world that can ever separate us from that love. <laughs> Praise God. Amen. Let's pray.
Lord, I am sure that all of us in this room have a story that we could tell. Of a time in our lives where things felt so difficult and things seemed so impossible. That we thought that we were falling away from you for good. But because of your love, because of your constant care, because of your relentless chasing after us, because of the plan that you have for our lives, we have overwhelmingly prevailed to this day. I pray for us today that you remind all of us of the great victories, the great battles that you have won on our behalf that you would equip us with new confidence, that we would become convinced and persuaded that there is nothing in this world that can cause us to feel insecure, that we are victorious through your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you today because you and Jesus Christ have freely given us all things, that there is nothing impossible to us. Help us to experience this reality even over this coming week. Open doors that have been shut before us. Close doors that need to be closed behind us. Give us new vision and new insight. Take away our heavy burdens. Remove all doubt and remove all fear. Cause us to walk in freedom, Lord God a freedom that allows us to move by your spirit. For where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Fill us with your spirit. Fill us with unwavering confidence and unshakable faith that all that you have promised to us will surely come to pass. Thank you for the power of your love. Thank you for your great sacrifice in your son, Jesus Christ. We give you all the praise. Amen.